Today's program was brought to you by Patina Events at Brooklyn Botanic Garden, an idyllic location for weddings, corporate events, and parties of any style. Visit us at patinaevents.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're bringing you four stories about lost and found culinary treasures. We are searching for what will be lost, and we're trying to rejuvenate it. What we try to do is collect these sourdoughs that contribute to the biodiversity of sourdough in order to store them, to document them, and be able to preserve them for the future. It's bringing back the history and just being part of that time that just... It's, there's nothing like it. You know, there's, there's nothing like it. When fame comes late, uh, I'm sure it's just as sweet as when it comes earlier. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and Three. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for the intro, G. This is, uh, I'm Emily Pearson. This is the main course OG. Today is Thursday, April 11th. It's my half birthday, in case anyone you know, wanted to bake me half a cake. Ha-ber. <laughs> that, that's the version of uh, happy birthday in, uh, for the half birthdays. Got it. I am in studio this morning with Patrick Martins, my co-host. Thanks for having me. Anytime. And our guests for the Weekly Grill are Amanda Wilson and Liz McConnell of Union Square Hospitality Group. Good morning, guys. Morning. Morning. Thanks for being here with us. So uh, we're going to jump right into our, our first segment, which we call the Weekly Based. We have uh, a lot of topics to cover, and uh, we might go through some of them fast. So... Let's get started. I want to talk about pre-batching food and alcohol. Is quality lost? So basically, grab and go, pre-batch, convenience food, even artisanal bottled cocktails that Patrick's been drinking here at Roberta's. Is it the experience that's lost, or is there a loss of quality, in your opinion? Liz, start us off? Yeah, sure. Uh, So anytime a... uh, Thank you. Anytime a, a restaurant makes a decision to pre-batch, and, and usually that would be like a grab-and-go restaurant, um, they when they're doing it right, they've like figured out that salt pulls liquid out of cabbage or out of lettuce, so that's not seasoned. Like when you're getting a salad at a sit-down restaurant, they are adding dressing and also adding salt and pepper uh, because in the moment you're not messing things up by adding that seasoning there. You're making it better. You're being able to taste it. So anytime you're getting like a salad in a bowl with dressing attached they've like they haven't seasoned that salad they would the way they would in a restaurant there might be a little more salt in the dressing so that you're getting the full experience and and the same goes for like a grain salad or something like that they're always thinking about how how it's going to sit in the shelf what your experience is when you get it back to your desk to eat or table i guess people eat at tables too um, <laughs> Do that. uh but yeah i mean they, anyone who's doing it right is doing pretty well i don't know about cocktails um do you guys do that a Union Square Cafe? Like, we, is that part yeah, of being a good bartender? Yes. Batching cocktails is quite trendy now, is from what I can tell. Um, I don't, we're not cocktail experts, except for that we drink them, but I know similarly with food, like, batching cocktails is almost like a must now. Everybody wants to, is, everybody's in a rush. Everybody wants everything very fast. And I think uh, as operators of 
food businesses, you know, again, what Liz said, like, you know certain things about food where you can decide what you can pre-batch that's not going to really affect the quality. So you can get certain things out fast and um, serve more people, whereas some things you just can't, you know, you can't do and you wouldn't do that. But like a lot of menus, I think, are developed um, based off of what you can now get out to people really fast, what can sit longer. Um, because people just like don't like to sit and eat as much as they used to. Well, I think they need to have more, you know, bartenders. But that needs to be so like a money, bar. Patrick. Well, I mean, it's, cocktails it's... need to cost more. I mean, Emily so... complains sometimes about the cost of cocktails, but I mean, it is basically has as many ingredients and takes as long as to prepare as an appetizer, True. which can be in twenty dollar range. So. And it's almost like a barber shop. There's like five just great bartenders. They're like, oh, we got one. I'll take this one. And when it's really going, because pre-batching is just, there's got to be some loss in quality. But the funny thing is very few people do great cocktails or great food anyway. So in that case, the batch is just as solid as an average in-person Live but it's made. cool. Like there are some. Uh, I know, like Huertas, Jonah Miller. He keeps some. Like I guess it's not a cocktail, but he keeps his vermouth on tap. Like there's all these sort of new, cool of the moment things. Or like mm-hmm. you can buy this very strong Negroni in a bottle that all you do is pour over an ice cube. But you kind of forget that like it's a cocktail that you could get at a restaurant, and it's very strong. And you don't just like down them at home. It's like, also you know. very solid. It's yeah, not no, no. terrible. If it was terrible, it wouldn't work. It's like a good cocktail. Yeah, I think you I think you batch things that make sense batching, and you don't for things that don't. And I think if you know cocktails well, you can decide what that is and what's not. And but, I don't think that pre-batching means that you like lose the experience like with the bartender or like having this relationship. Right. Although I guess it is cool when you watch every single, you know, bitter and every component go in. I don't know. Certain cocktail culture to it. So... We have to talk about Meghan Markle, our favorite duchess. Do we? She, yes, we must. We always talk about her on this show. We must. We must. So Meghan Markle has asked you to create a single bite for her upcoming baby shower for thousands of women from around the world. Do you innovate or do a classic? Classic. And what's your Really bite? bold. Everyone oh, says innovate. Really? Well, most people your age. No offense. I'm, oh, I'm older. But Younger no, but people say innovate. Older people say classic. That's basically. But the, a lot of people say classic because, I mean, innovate because a classic might disappoint too many people. Everyone has oh, their opinion about how. Uh, a lot. Yeah, everybody. So the thing about classics is everybody has their best version of what they know as a classic. Um, but if you can make the best version of a classic, that's going to make, I think that'll make more people happy than innovating, which could make a percentage of people really excited, but you might miss a little bit on the other side. Hmm. Also, does royalty really care about food? Um, you know, Meghan Markle's yet to come on the show. I was show. just going to say, has she been on She's the show yet? She's yet to come yet? on. We are waiting for when she gives birth, and then we will have the whole family. The, baby. the question mm. is, do rich people eat well? And the funny thing is, it's a, I think it tends towards not necessarily, for sure. Like, look at Silicon Valley. I think people, basically, there's a not such a great restaurant scene there. I mean, those are some of the richest people in the world. I think they eat very fresh ingredients, but they don't necessarily eat the best. And then uh, we sell to one of our favorite supermarkets, Gentiles, on the Upper East Side, to basically 83rd and Madison. So he sells to the richest people in the world. And a lot of what they want and feel comfortable with are the name brands like Oscar Mayer that they've seen for the past 50 years. And if you put like the meat hooks hot dog there it just wouldn't move there so even though it's a better quality ingredient and probably tastes more interesting so 
I don't think rich people eat better. Some Maybe people that get also, it, some that, people wait, that goes to classic and innovate. It's like you've got the higher end bacon or whatever mm-hmm. it might be next to the mm-hmm. classic Oscar Mayer, and it's which is that person's preference. But what would your bite be? Uh, I guess maybe like uh, an apple tart with like uh, like cloth-bound Wensleydale, like <laughs> English so cheddar cheese. <laughs> I was gonna say I need a translation about. I know cloth-bound, but then you lost me. Oh, I I like it's a it's a really like gritty. I think it's a cheddar. It's been a long time since okay. I've worked in cheese, but uh, yeah, Anne would know. I would do a caviar. This a, over a big potato chip, like really those big dark or those orange potato chips, like those. English kind of potato chips, you know, the really good chips because they have fish and chips. So okay. instead of French fries, they have chips. So the best chip with a huge mound of caviar. Do you think that's what a bunch of British cream. ladies want to eat, though? But it would be exciting if it's only <laughs> one bite. I guess. Maybe a crumbled chip. Just like, you know, like a morsel of a chip. Oh, All right, what would, yeah. what would your bite be if you're going to do a classic? I'm going to go with a tea sandwich. Oh, I thought about that too. Are like you going to go in the currently trendy Japanese egg oh, uh, I cut do off know the about edges these. sandwich? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely no crust. Um, yeah, egg would be good. I like a little cucumber in there. But yeah, I just got to go classic. It Trust is me, I've done, People don't I've like done crust. so many events and the more innovative you get, sometimes it just doesn't land. Not because the food's not good, just like for the masses, people love, you know. What they love. Well, will you say what Max, the chef of Mama Fuku Sambar, said about the classic innovative question? He said, one cannot innovate until they understand the classics. Oh, good. I like that. So, yeah, you can innovate, sure, Mm -hmm. but only after this. And it's funny, the fear of young people on this show, when asked that question, being like, pasta with cacho and pepe oh no too too risky the pasta has to be perfect i'd rather innovate you know because there's less pressure on innovation or yeah preparing i mean i think that's you always see like in the movies or you hear the stories of the the french chef who says make me an omelet mm-hmm. you know and like yes. or ratatouille the rat the simplest peasant dish to the greatest critic in paris you saw the movie Ratatouille? I did, yes. Okay. <laughs> She's like, but it's been a while. Are you going to quiz me on it? a very long time. Um, Patrick yeah, and it's, I usually it's like always to say, harder to, to do classics because mm-hmm. you have to do them perfectly. Well, yeah. you know what one chef said? And what does that even mean? I'm afraid that the people who I'm serving won't even know what they should. They're like, this pasta is simple. It doesn't even have tomato sauce on it. You know, like there could be a misunderstanding of what a classic is. Patrick's in a caviar phase. He used to say he wanted the perfect, like everything bagel, smoked salmon, cream cheese, capers, pickled onions, bite. Wrapped in an egg. That's a good bite. Wrapped in an egg. Well, that's one of my favorite bites. So is the Peking duck with the hoisin sauce and the skin. That's a good, that's actually my, one of my favorite. That's probably my Peking duck is my death row meal. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Your, your, la, your death oh, row 100%. last supper. One hundred percent. Mine's always pizza. Can I make a confession that could get me thrown off this show and fired from the network? You've never mm. had Peking duck. I don't love corn tortillas. <laughs> you know, I love oh, flour tortillas. I didn't love corn tortillas okay. until I went to Mexico City I and had that. a real corn tortilla. So it's. it's but I also think yeah. we've been talking. Well, Patrick and I were just in a conversation the other day about tamales, and he's like, "I don't like that they're like this mealy corn." Oh, consistency, but I th- I think he has a, a cornmeal issue, mm-hmm. and maybe until you go to Mexico, 
Yeah, and have it have you been done properly. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I have. I've been to Mexico. I That's don't like someone saying they don't them. like a bagel because they only mm. had one from Cincinnati. Yeah. No, there's exactly. one. <laughs> I was gonna say Is Ohio. That's the newest thing where they're cutting <laughs> it down the middle. Sorry for right anybody now. listening out there in Cincinnati. Oh, I've been hearing about that, where you cut the bagel in half instead of no, no, sliced down. Not. It's not like one cut. It's like it's let's take this slices, bagel, right? set it on the on the table, the prep table, and then like. Yeah, and then cut slices of it. And I have to say, like, I'm not a New Yorker by any means, but it doesn't offend me. Why are you whispering? I'm ashamed. New Jersey, most people would claim to be almost a New Yorker. No, she, I like the way she said it. She's like, by any means, I am not a New Yorker. That's good. That's correct. As New Yorkers, we appreciate it. I've made a conscious choice to um, have quality of life. Uh, mm. And fewer restaurant choices. Maybe she gave us a diss just now. I know, sure. I know, I, I know. know. <laughs> Seriously, we have trees here. We have probably more trees than in New Jersey. So no. this is a test. If you love tacos, but it's only a uh, corn tortilla place, what what is the savior for a flour lover? The quesadilla. The quesadilla. Yeah, it always yeah. has. Ninety nine percent of the Why time, you, it's made with flour. There's never corn t- quesadillas. I've almost never mm, seen one. No. Why? Because it gets too mushy, the I think it yeah, because really nicely. I think the yeah, flour, the flour, flour is a better crisp on a griddle, and mm. and that's important. Soggy yeah. quesadillas are too much no-no. cheese for the corn. Like the cheese ratio with the corn tortilla would not work okay. as well. The melted maybe it also doesn't photograph as well, mm. which is taking me to our oh, next topic. Nice transition. Nice segue. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try. So uh, we read an interview uh, with Danny Meyer on Thrillist, and he was talking about social media and the guest relations team and this whole sort of new wave situation of uh, keeping an eye on your guests through social media. Um, and he said social media has become somewhere in between the town square of 100 years ago where you get your news and gossip and also a postcard, like a snapshot of what's going on mm. in time. What do you guys think about social media in the workplace or in the restaurant scene? Social media in the restaurant scene is so horrifying. Really? <laughs> Should I say that? Like, it's we something we have this to think about a lot. Yeah, as well, you wish. yeah, that was a hard, that was a strong opinion. <laughs> Let's backtrack. We, but wait, you're I'm in the a, kitchen. So I'm in the kitchen. Yeah. I don't know if everybody listening knows. So I, my background is a chef, um, more or less fine dining. You were chef of Union Square Cafe I was, yeah, with Carmen with for Carmen years. With Carmen for years. Um, and so in that environment, you don't create food around an Instagram picture. And now you do. So now I'm actually transitioned to um, taking over operations for Daily Provisions, which is a fast casual uh, Danny Meyer restaurant. And it's great, but we do. We talk a lot about the fact that it's so prevalent and it's it's just changed. I wouldn't say it's horrible. I just said for a cult, it's it's you have to switch your mind as a culinary person to to when you're creating. So what are you making food prettier now or um, not necessarily uh, prettier is a harder. How has it changed your Let's, you, uh, it's grill, really direct the grill. Grilled cheese is a good example. Like oh, when yeah. we're creating a grilled cheese, normally you'd say like, oh, okay, like let's just make a great grilled cheese and like the best, you know, flavors and whatnot. But now it's like, but no, what's going to get that pull? So it'll take a really good picture 
or let's design a sandwich that's this high so it looks really cool, but maybe you can't even eat it. It's so funny. It's putting so much power into the man on the street. There is nothing that I find less interesting than man on the street interviews. They're like, what do you think about the weather? I'm like, I don't care what that guy thinks about the weather at all. I want a weatherman who's a professional who's going to tell me what I should be thinking about the weather. Man on the street. But it does put a lot of energy. I mean, we always talk about Yelp being dead. But social media, the individual, has well, power to say, this is beautiful food. Go eat there. Well, so part of what this article was about was this idea of keeping an eye on your guests. You you can only get so far as a, a floor manager or as a maitre d' and to know exactly who's in your dining room. And I know traditionally fine dining restaurants do keep an eye on who their guests are. And they do a little research for certain reservations. But the idea that this is like a la minute, this is as it's happening. It's someone sitting at your bar and, and tagging that you guys are there. You know, are you going to make the burger extra pretty because you know that the person's next course is coming? Like, it's, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we, we do. We keep an eye out um, if we know someone is a blogger or a big influence. That's the name, it's, right? Yeah. It's an influencer. influencer. Okay. But I guess we're all influencers or want to be influencers now. I don't influence no. that many people. <laughs> I'm my own influencer. Um, okay. Uh, sure, maybe we pay a little extra attention to what that food looks like. Be, and that's that's actually the scary part is, um, you know, you'll, you're on your Instagram feed and you can follow hashtags now, so I'll follow the ones from, like, our restaurants. And, like, anybody can post anything, so even if something's plated beautifully, you have no control what that person does with that food, and then they're posting these pictures that, like, you wouldn't necessarily put posts that represent your brand now, so that's always something that... Why not send a person through the dining room, a professional, and be like, do you want me to take an Instagram shot for you <laughs> that's a lot better than the one that you'll post? Or like, the lighting's Ooh, not great this really evening. But they're good. <laughs> also, do you want to see your dish in the kitchen before it comes to you for but five extra dollars? Those people bring lights with them. Like, they set yes, up their whole they do. I was going to say, if and you're... And they're actually better photographers than, you know, if we were to get somebody in to, like, shoot 20 plates... Uh, well, I'm not that talking Instagram about those photo might be that more you, Instagrammable yeah. than sure. What we I'm just talking for. about you know, Joe who comes in and just snaps in bad lighting a picture of something and then posts it and tags the restaurant and right. Then, but if Joe's a decent photographer, then he uh, probably has more followers. And if he's not, <laughs> you guys are fewer followers. Yeah, that's, less of an that's true. Fair. That's true. And also, uh, you guys are pretty smart. Most of your restaurants have good lighting, so there's like oh. good natural lighting shots. There's dark, like that was cool, funky restaurants. Too. What about a town crier who's like, "Hear ye, hear ye! The coffee is, you know, new batch of coffee." It just like updates people. That's town square. Old that's like town the square. Twitter parking feed for alternate side. No. Twitter parking fee for alternate like there's, side. Yeah, yeah like yeah, you can yeah. follow alternate side parking in New York, oh. and it tells you like when it's suspended, when it's snowed. I feel like that's like a that's the no. time. Yeah. Is oh, that the Times Square the element of this? Before? I don't. I'm not on the Twitter. Well, I'm what happened with the town square is uh, they were basically barbarian hordes were running through Europe, and no one could settle. So when that finally slowed down, the Vikings were one of the last uh, group. Uh, they built these town halls, archives, and that's where all legal stuff happened. So it was the town square where someone would be like, Liz just bought Amanda's tractor or horse. And enough people heard it that <laughs> if you point. ever reneged on the deal or if the horse died the next day, you know, enough people were like, hey, that's not fair. So now it's been said on social media. This is the best. Well, you guys got voted what? The best Italian sandwich, breakfast sandwich, right? At Daily Provisions. 
when we opened i think like I think right when it opened uh, yeah yeah it was one of the like grub street pieces yes. that like you guys were they do the roundup of like best yes. breakfast, breakfast sandwiches. sandwiches yeah absolutely no it's great i mean don't get me wrong chef brain hard to adjust as a social media business operator brain it's great you get your product like more people see what you're doing um if you do if you are lucky enough to have one of those like really instagrammable that happens to also be delicious dishes like it gets more people in the door and like you can't argue with that we have a good team that we work with that does like a lot for helping us bring people in the door and like we wouldn't be able to do what we do if they weren't there so it's great i was kind of hoping you'd be like i don't care what my food looks like it's about what it tastes like you it know, could be the ugliest food ever. Not at Danny. I mean, Danny Can Mars I start a shiny an, star. An Instagram of just ugly food. Food. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Well, Lazad, the worst uh, photos on Instagram history. There's like a website or an Instagram feed of the like seventy percent of them are lasagnas. <laughs> I think they, probably the only cool yeah. looking one is when Del Posto does their like what is the hundred layer. Oh, and but, if you yeah. get that side angle, uh, but otherwise, yeah, from the top, forget it. Yeah. So, what cities outside of New York excite you both right now for food? Amanda, I know you were just in the yeah. Bay Area for a bread stage. I did. I just lived or was spent six weeks out in San Francisco working out there to learn how to make bread because San Francisco is known for that sourdough. So um, the Bay Area, San Francisco is, oh, God, can I say this in New York? It's probably my favorite food city in the United States. Really? A lot of people say New York is actually a descending food city on this show. Yeah, we, we like them. to ask about yeah. ascending versus descending food I would cities. probably agree with that. Um, and even though the fact that i am been cooking in New York most of my career and probably am not leaving it anytime soon. But Why, because of classics or because of innovation, like ingredients or innovation? Um, wait, New York? No, San Francisco. Oh, like I it think... So much. I think because of just ingredients. I mean, you'll go to almost any restaurant. And I went to, uh, I ate a petite crème. A good friend of mine is the general manager there. And she drops this beautiful trout dish. And she goes, underneath are these pink peppercorn branches from that tree you'll see right outside. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, come on, we can't do that in New York. So, um, yeah, the ingredients out there are just so amazing. Um, There's this, like, secret about California that I think they just hoard all their best produce and don't give it to anybody else. So you've got to go there to really experience it. Mm. Um, All the small farms. uh, A lot of restaurants have their own farms out there and not even even talking about, like, the big three-star ones. Just a lot of restaurants just work with small farms um, and have their own. So they're just getting better quality ingredients. They're very seasonally driven. Um, They can innovate. I think a little better because their seasons overlap more than New York. New York is so hard to cook in if you want to be seasonal for like six months out of the year. Yeah, spring, yeah. spring and fall are brief. So yeah, know? I'm a big, I'm a big California food fan, but would, but, but not leaving New York anytime soon. Yeah, well, and next question too, and for both of you guys, from coast to coast and everywhere in between, where do you think America stands in terms of food quality? I mean, against France and. Italy and China. Uh, yeah, I think we're in a tough spot. You know, like, um, it feels like every uh, positive trend towards food improvement has to be co-opted, you know, um, figure out some way for corporations to make more and more money off of it, how to simplify it, like the whole organic uh, situation. And I don't I don't think it's something that, that other countries deal with quite as much. Um, the, the fact that the, the way that a vegetable is seen on the shelf at Walmart, what the price on it is, what labels on it, um, 
how that reflects for consumers. We've lost the sense that um, that this trend is actually important, that the change is actually important, and and that uh, people will relate to it in that way. That relationship between consumer and um, farmer gets just further and further apart because so you have no no faith in them. Interests in them. Well, I'm really cynical about the um, public to to, to put <laughs> their honest. money where their mouth, you know, to uh, buy. They don't know any better. I, sometimes, like I okay, I spend three days a week in the green market. I don't spend the whole day there. I'm only there for about an hour um, more in the spring and summer. Um, but I'll I'll hear people walk through the green market and they're very concerned with whether or not things are organic. Um, which is not really an issue when we talk to our farmers, you know, like the, the fact that they're making decisions to keep their crops as clean, as um, high quality as they possibly can, um, is all that I'm really concerned about when we're buying. Uh, and I know that those farmers are making the best decisions that they can. And the choice of whether or not to buy into like an organic stream of, of revenue by getting certification by buying organic pesticides, organic fertilizer, um, in a lot of cases that are uh, more heavily laced with chemicals that just happen to fall under that certification. Um, it's, not a, it's not a factor when we buy vegetables, and it's unfortunate that, um, for the most part, uh, the common market, supermarket shopper just doesn't know. They still don't know. About uh, the organic issue, but I mean, in that... They don't know, you know, it's good that they're asking for organic, but I think most people don't, uh, I think they feel safe with the corporation. They're just like, that's what I knew. That's what I grew up. They don't see, whereas we on the coast are like, that corporation is outrageous. Do you know what they do when they're, I just think like most Americans don't care if, you know, Mondelez as young workers work, I mean, they're not going to stop buying as long as it as long as it says organic or gluten free or, or like Ritz has cracker. the right. Is anyone going to stop buying Ritz because there's some new local guy in Detroit that's making a better crack? I mean, that's sold in two places. It's like convenience, and I don't know. I don't harbor much hope for it changing. Although when Carlo Petrini came and saw the Good Food Awards, he looked out onto those 500 winners from all the categories like jam and. Uh, confections and spirits and cheese and he was like America is not the laughing stock of the world anymore he's like show me this many people in France or in Argentina there's actually might not be and some of the foods they're making are very good so anyway he really did believe in us uh, but I don't know if that's affecting all the people in all the country I worry also that um, maybe the Instagram culture and the way that food looks is becoming more and more important to people and the origins of that food and the quality of the ingredients, the quality of the preparation, less so. So I, I worry that the, the Instagram food scene is taking away from the local heritage, uh, you know, regional products and excellent preparation. But do you think Instagram like helps elevate maybe the green market and, and emphasizes that like it's cool. And there, I guess it's, um, uh, it's not just, uh, having aspirational hopes for your Instagram, but it's like, I, I don't know, it's actually going to the market or are people just photographing it. Or are they actually buying it? Or are they just like, Oh, this is pretty, but I'm still going to go shop where at the, the bigger box store where it says organic. I think it's a little both. Mm. I see a lot of people who just walk through the, the market with their hands empty, taking pictures. I don't know. Taking pictures they with, them with the newspaper with today's date on it. Being <laughs> like, Here I am at the farmer's market today. 
But then they don't buy anything. Maybe, no, maybe they, they got a cider. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe they get a cider. I don't know. There's well, no what's too. your spirit food? That's what I really want to know. This is the question I've been waiting for. This is my question. Spirit food. Like a spirit animal. Yeah, spirit yeah what's food. your spirit animal while we're at it? we start with animal? Sure. I, I know my animal. Right. Food is harder. <laughs> uh, a slow loris. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't and know if you is. don't know what that is, look up, go YouTube slow loris eating a rice bowl. <laughs> what is that? Like a it, sloth? Uh, yeah, kind of like sloth. Like they have like super big eyes and like they're just, I don't but know. You seem fast uh, enough to me. I mean. You don't seem particularly sloth-like. I actually can't explain why this is my spirit animal. <laughs> is it just the way you feel? It's on just the, the way I feel on the inside okay, okay. when I see a slow loris eating a rice ball. So could your spirit food be the rice ball? It or could be. Would it be something <laughs> um, from Daily Provisions? Yeah, oh, maybe. Um, Are you very nocturnal? A because bacon a slow, slab. Yeah, a actually, slow, I a slow loris is uh, a nocturnal primate. There you go. Oh, nice. Those are my favorite. Uh, but what do you have? Uh, food? Food's hard. I, I thought about, I've you know, food is, uh, how can you pick one spirit food? I might go with... I'd be a radish, maybe? Oh. A little tart? Whoa, is that what you were going to say? Look, well, yeah, because I have a radish tattoo. Oh, nice. So maybe a radish? I like radishes. They're a little... What is that? What are they? Spicy. They're right? spicy, yeah. but deceiving. They're very cute, but like uh, they got a little spice. Yeah, their their look and their color does not translate Cute. to how they taste. No, R- round. Okay, round. so I have yeah. a lot in common Cute, with them. Round. Spicy. Yeah, with the tail. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So the radish <laughs> is your spirit <laughs> animal. I would say rice. Uh, I would say yeah, radish is my spirit food. My spirit animal would unfortunately probably be like a goat. Why but is why? that unfortunate? Why, yeah, what? Sneaky. You know, I, I wish it would They're be climbers. like a lion or a cheetah. Goats are Giraffe. playful, though, too. That's true. They like to stand on things. You know, our slaughterhouse will not allow the goat farmer to leave the goats in the pen and drive away. They have to stay till every last goat is gone because they will escape. <laughs> They're too smart they and they just They're yeah. smart. Will they climb. Escape. Goat's that? a good one. I'm a prairie dog. What are you? Oh, prairie dog? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I think aspirationally, I'd like to. Aren't elephants very wise? It's power animal is not an aspirational animal. It's Wait, just why? a reality animal. I think it's who you really are. No, I think it's All the right. way. The, the one am I like a cat? I like I to be like clean and neat. Do I? I know. I don't know. I guess I'm a cat. I like that. I'll go with that. Do you see and the then cat's a good one for you. Yeah. What and about then. Food? Um, I don't know. My answer for all things food is always something cheese. cheese. Yeah, you I like cheese. that they're very because they're versatile. It could be a little funky. It could be a little melty. I guess I'm not that versatile. All right, I'm going to stick with that for now. Uh, number one favorite food business in America right now. No ifs, ands, buts, or qualifiers. Heritage, Heritage Food, you yeah. <laughs> I didn't pay for that. All I right. swear. Next question. <laughs> what, is, what is the state of uh, what, food? Do we talk about? You still order on Amazon all the time, right? I order big box things and things that I don't want to... That, that I have, like, I order paper towels and toilet paper on Amazon. But not food? No, no. Well, I guess I would say mine is Petrosian right now, the caviar people. I mean, they deliver to you the world's greatest delicacy. I mean, people could say the truffle, although I've never been like, I love how strong truffles smell, real truffles. But caviar, I mean, is there a greater delicacy? I ask a lot of chefs, are, tr- are caviar worth it? And they're like, 
yes, I love it. You know, the, all the breeds, the varieties, how long it takes them eight years to grow and... Yeah, no? I think, you, you're not in the caviar. No, I love caviar. I'm not rich enough to know to have tried enough caviar, but in taste, like in tastings, when I get the good stuff, mm -hmm. that's when you know there's such a difference. Mm -hmm. um, I think just not a lot of people have had the good stuff. I just wanted to have it enough in my life so I could speak to the four varieties of. I mean, I, I couldn't say a single thing. I knew some were orange and some were black. So this was like a short-term yeah. kind of investment to understand the world's greatest delicacy, maybe. Which is a fish. I think my favorite food business right now is I don't know if you went while you were in California, but the Byright Family Markets. Oh, I did. There's something very special about sort of, and in general that. Uh, mid-size family market that really cares about where they source from. Agreed. But I guess like the way you're referring to Gentiles maybe has multiple different brands. They're supporting local. They're also national. I love that Byright gives you a taste of the fruit. Like they, if there's, well, also only in California. So can you can you take a bite right. out of an apple? Again, very California. No, is there a Byright of New York? Like, is there like... Byright is a liquor store nearby. <laughs> <laughs> um, but is like, there is, it doesn't feel like it. No, it's hard I, to explain unless you've been to Byright. Right, but you're totally right. It's it's such an amazing feel of mm -hmm. uh, almost like old school as you go to your local Maybe grocery there. store, and it's all like there's everything that they source has like a story behind it. It's colorful. It. It's mm -hmm. rich. Every inch of shelf is. It used. could have been like the early days of Fairway or Dean and Deluca or maybe yes. Citarella, but the way that they've maintained it and mm -hmm. that you. I think, yeah, it's a higher price point. But anyway, in California, you, it's the only place you can probably have like 10 different kinds of mandarin oranges. And so they'll have it like mm -hmm. pre-peeled, not an apple, but they will cut <laughs> things up for you to taste. Yeah. When uh, Sergio and Andrew and Francine had the Brooklyn larder, every inch of that store was something that they had pickled or cure put up or something you know ramps and for martinis and it was unbelievable to walk through that place although they didn't have everything they weren't trying to be a full market I mean, it is amazing i think byright even sells like toilet paper and bounty paper and they towels. sell wine they sell everything yeah. Yeah. yeah and like here you can't necessarily do that like if you don't have a liquor license you can't they do a partnership to have their own wine I don't yeah know. they do their own ice cream too it's yeah, amazing they have a and creamery. i love their fish counter which we could never do in new york i think for the most part they just have like four four or five fish there and they're like these are the best fish and this is what we have they don't feel the need to have 90 fish you know in some big colorful display where most of the fish are bad and only a few are good anyway you know also something i've noticed in california because i guess of the bread scene being local and strong there are i don't know like 15 different fresh breads that came in from 15 different mm -hmm. uh artisanal producers that probably came only from like a mile away mm -hmm. you know uh, whether and it be Acme that, and all that grain is local farms too that's another thing is they're using so the bread stage I was doing was really cool because we did a we did a traditional sourdough and would manipulate the recipe or have to adjust based off of like we get these 20 pound bags of flour in and like everyone was like a little different and you adjust to that um, but they're you know from farms like 50 miles away, milling very fresh flour. And that's something that like is definitely missing from New York, that culture of bread, I think. It's, it's getting better. It's getting oh, better here, I think. Original flour. Yeah. We do, yeah. yeah we buy it from Maine. We just got a pallet yesterday. Yeah, so yeah. We, we do. So it's it's definitely getting there. There's Don't get me wrong. There's great bread in New York, but there's something special about that San Francisco culture. 
pre nineteen when the seventies, my mom we, we had Wonder Bread, or we'd have to drive to a different neighborhood and take like a five dollar cab ride like across town to get fresh bread. And then Eli Zabar, the son, opened on the Upper East Side. That was the first time that the Upper East Side, unless you live next to Or Washers on that block on First Avenue or something. It was amazing. I mean, people, no one had fresh bread. Now almost every neighborhood in the country has some access to fresh bread, and it's really great in a few places. So, Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk a bit more with Amanda and Liz about Union Square Cafe and Daily Provisions. Stick around. Stick Patina Restaurant Group offers unparalleled service in New York's most iconic locations, including Lincoln Center, Rockefeller Center, and Macy's Herald Square. Patina is also the exclusive caterer at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. From meetings and presentations in the glass-walled atrium, to galas in the renovated Palm House, and intimate wedding showers at Yellow Magnolia Cafe, your event will be perfectly imagined and customized at Brooklyn Botanic Garden. You can also enjoy a la carte brunch and lunch at the picturesque Yellow Magnolia Cafe overlooking Lilypool Terrace. Executive chef Morgan Jarrett's unique menu offers warm, distinctive cuisine with a focus on local vegetables, grains, and sustainably sourced meats and fish. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Coral Lee, and I'm the host of Meant to be Eaten here on HRN. Every week, I look at cross-cultural exchange in food and contemporary media. What determines authenticity? What, if anything, gets lost in translation when cooking foods from another's culture? You can find Meant to Be Eaten wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. One night only? All right, we're back. All right, we're back. This is the Main Course OG, broadcasting live from Roberta's here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. We are with the women who run Union Square Cafe and Daily Provisions. Liz exactly. McConnell. Oh, and, sure, yeah. Yeah, and Amanda <laughs> Wilson. Thanks for being with us, guys. Thank you. Thanks. So we were talking before the break about uh, bread baking, and I know that there's quite a bit of that done for Daily Provisions. Amanda, you have a new role running. Are you the executive chef now? Technically, culinary operations right. uh, is more my title, I guess. Um, yeah, I was at Union Square Cafe for a very long time. Um, grew in that business. Um, opened the new one on 19th Street and as, as the chef. And then just recently, in the last couple months, moved over to take over operations for culinary operations for Daily Provisions. Mm-hmm. Um, same company and actually same kitchen. Uh, wow. So didn't have to move far for the job change. And what, what, tell us uh, what what's is going Daily Provisions? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So it is an all-day cafe. Um, we are open breakfast, lunch, dinner, three different menus uh, focusing on daily provision so whatever you trying to be everything for everyone which is hard but fun um breakfast sandwiches for breakfast is our main thing but we bake like we were saying we bake all our bread in house um so retail bread pastries in the morning we are instagram famous for our crullers which is pretty cool Mm -hmm. Uh, so we do an in-house hand-piped donut and then we switch over to lunch sandwiches salads um, in the afternoon and then dinner uh, is more, you know, traditional. I like to say it's what you would cook at ho- for your family or what you would cook at home, but 
somebody else gets to cook it for you. So I know you do a lot of rotisserie chicken. We right? do rotisserie chicken. It's basically trying to be something for everybody, but you still have to pick. You have to pick like what's your soup going to be, what's your salad going to be to still be right. for everybody. So then you also have like a grilled cheese because who doesn't love a grilled cheese? But then if you want like a short rib kind of braised meat, there'll be that. You know, so right. it's basically one of every category. We like we do and like to say if you live in the neighborhood, it's your neighborhood kitchen, and you could theoretically go three times a day and get something very different. And but something... not even that, you can go seven days in a row right. for dinner and be like, ah, I have. The, their equivalent of a focaccia kind of bready thing yesterday. I want to go more bouillabaisse soup, and there'll be something that it, it really throws. You can go seven days a week yeah. and never be eating the same type of style. Neighborhood kitchen, that's like kind of our, our thing. So we are on 19th Street, uh, again, attached to Union, different entrance, but attached to Union Square Cafe. Uh, that kind of opened almost around the same time, and we are expanding daily provisions to the West Village this summer and then the Upper West Side hopefully later in the later by holidays this year. And you'll have more Shake Shacks at what year? What's your goal <laughs> to have more daily provisions than Shake Shacks? Uh, that I don't know. We're just focusing on this next two. Okay. Um, getting to the West Side, more provisions to more people, and then we'll see after that. I think you chose some really good neighbor. You know, neighbors. Danny, everybody chose some really yeah. good neighborhoods because those are neighborhoods that appreciate that you can go hyper local, hyper local. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's the challenge is like we want it is a neighborhood feel. We have such awesome regulars who do come seven days a week. And so we want to make sure that the West Village and the Upper West Side like feel that, too. It's not, you know, it's. It's it's a definitely it's a different business in the sense of we want to be every we want to be something for everybody and that's, that's hard to do. Commissary kitchen or will everything be prepared by chefs on site? Um, working on that, our West Village location is is small because it's West Village, and so probably have to do some commissarying from uh, the 19th Street location to get to Bedford, but um, Amsterdam's um, um, or Upper West is a much bigger space, so we'll be able to do our own cooking out of that kitchen. That's awesome. Yeah. We can't wait to uh, to visit all of them. Very fun, yes. Absolutely. I told my mom about the Upper West Side. She was super excited. Mm. So, Liz, you uh, were talking about the green market before and that you're there three days a week. Uh, tell us a little bit more about sort of that foraging and relationship experience with the farmers and translating that to your chefs. Well, I don't do any foraging myself. You need a license for that. I'm, I guess uh, I'm I, I'm embellishing the word a little. I'm it's okay. Taking creative license. Totally. Um, I'm the purchasing manager for Union Square and Daily Provision Cafe and Daily Provisions. Um, I worked with Amanda for a long time at USC. Uh, actually, my uh, first day interviewing for a job, she was on the pasta station, and I was like, "Oh, this yeah, this lady knows how to cook," and I'm excited to. Uh, wow. Yeah. Now look at your destiny. inspired me. And your look at this. I know. Of, uh, yeah. Um, so at the green market, I, um, it's, it's very experiential. Like I, I know the schedule, like the back of my hand. I know which farmers are going to be there on which days. And I know those farmers pretty darn well at this point. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of intuition. Um, and it's a lot of knowing what, uh, when, when we decide to go on something to buy an, a vegetable that's back, uh, for the spring, back for the summer, it's a matter of me thinking and me talking to our chefs about, like, are they ready to go? 
are we, am I going to buy this thing that looks amazing, but then like, you know, have to push somebody to, to find the time to get it on the menu? Um, or are we, can we bring it in, get it cleaned and get it straight on the menu that day? And it's always like this, the latter is always what we prefer. Um, and there's always things that I know, uh, that we can jump right on. Like overwintered broccoli rob is something that chef Carmen loves to, uh, just very quickly cook and toss with chilies and it's delicious. Right, so um, when you when you uh, say okay this fruit or this vegetable's back, do you go back through years past menus and say, or do you just say, what do we want to do with this now and and kind of innovate, or do you return to some? It's core a little classic? of both. Yeah. Um, I think it's definitely a little of both. There are sure. like classic preparations that we and classic for USC like Union Square Cafe is a long-standing restaurant. Uh, Chef Carmen's been working there for. 10, 14. 14, 14 years. Years. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. Um, and his style is very California, so he's used to like taking taking that quick, uh, fresh approach to all of the produce that exists in California and applying it with you know the Italian style that USC has to all of those vegetables. So, so what does that mean? He does. Will Will you guys just take something and serve it with oil? And vinegar, and that's it because totally. it's such good ingredients mm-hmm. like shaped in Eastwood. Or do you have to do? Do you have to Italian it or Union Square it? No, I think that the goal is to do that: is to find those best ingredients and not really have to do much to them. And that is very Union Square Cafe. But make sure whatever you get, you are treating it correctly, seasoning it correctly, and then you don't need to do that much with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. a it's a mixed menu. Of some things are a little bit more composed, and we. But the the goal of Union Square Cafe, in my opinion, cooking there for so long is just that, is to keep things simple, delicious, mm-hmm. well-executed, um, use that green market and be as seasonal as possible and let the food kind of come mm-hmm. through. The, the ingredients, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. You guys, you made me hungry. I think we have to go to Union Square Cafe guys, or ramps, Daily Provisions for lunch. You ramps can are back. Both. Speaking of foraging, oh, ramps yeah. are back in. I was just going to say, you, I, in the market you, as of you Wednesday. forged your own ramps on your hike the other day, Liz. No, I did not forge those. Oh. That was state land. We're not going to speak of that. No, but I do think somebody actually put them there because there was like a clump at the trailhead. Like they could even drive past their ramps and be like, oh, yeah, they're ready. All right, I'm coming back. Because there's that clump, and there was a clump, like, inward, and then we walked four miles over, like, varying terrain uh, and totally different moisture content, temperature, and no other ramps anywhere on that trail. So... They, were, they should make the Grand Bouffe. This is intro to ramp foraging. The, the, the crazy <laughs> no. French movie, yeah. is it? Italian movie, the Grand Bouffe, where he just stuffed, they stuffed there. themselves uh-huh. to death. But just some hyper-local person from Vermont or something who just eats themselves to death on ramps and fiddleheads. That'd it be a great movie. It probably would be preserving. Though. It would be there Le is Grand Bouffe local. About for, I think it's called The Forager. Oh, who dies from just oh, I don't know if foraging Patrick, so much. Patrick yeah, wants someone to die because oh, of overconsumption heard. of something yeah. ridiculous. Because they're cool. so hyper-local. They're just like, I have to take Way advantage of the season. Yeah, just like, oh, <laughs> fiddleheads. As long as it's not, die. as long as it wasn't from the bacon consumption. So we always want to ask about Danny because, you know, he's really, he's like the Steven Spielberg of restaurateurs, you know, he's untouchable, he's on top of the game and all that. So is there a particular lesson that you carry with you, like right now or in general, more than other lessons? Ooh, um, 
I just, there's a lot. I would say the, the most recent thing that's coming to mind that he just said that I appreciate and love is smile more, talk less. <laughs> as Did Ron he of, say that directly to you? <laughs> no. Um, God, but, it would be the uh, opposite for me. He would be like, smile. Oh, whoa. Um, talk no, more, talk more. I think not not just for me, in general, just in the in the hospitality industry, you know, a lo- smiling and eye contact go a long way. And I think people just tend to, you know, maybe talk a little bit too much and dig holes for themselves. Just smile. Say thank you, you're welcome, and that's it. It's, it's good. We good advice. We want our guests to know that we're on their side, and I think just – making eye contact in this world where everybody's like staring at their phones and walking around uh, with tunnel vision is like, it means a lot to anyone who walks through the door, whether it's Daily Provisions or USC. No, you've been doing a great job with our listeners with eye contact. So it's great. You've done a great job today. We're working on the smiling, talking less, just smiling. (laughs) Can you have one show where you just smile and nothing is aired at all? Well, no. Well, we have the how to tie knot show. Uh, basket weaving exactly exactly Um, i like the salt shaker uh Mm. and this is like an you know it's an old school uh ushg that's union square hospitality group trope and the idea is that um when you're managing your staff or anyone uh and you need them to get the point of something you're asking them to do you're trying to get this point across you're trying to make sure that they're doing their job you uh danny calls it moving the salt shaker and so basically like if you think about a dining table in a restaurant the salt shaker is supposed to go in a very specific place that's the instruction that's what you want when you need to make that adjustment with your staff it's just like continually moving that salt shaker to the middle of the table or wherever it's supposed to go um no drama no like questions like why aren't you getting this um so when you get very frustrated in management uh, to remember, like, I'm just moving the salt shaker on this. I'm just reminding them again that I need, like, this is what I need from you. Please do your job. Please move the salt shaker to the back, to the, where it goes, middle of the table. My management right style is, like, sell the restaurant because the salt <laughs> shaker thing will never be fixed. <laughs> we are finding a new line of work for everybody. We'll have an alumni association. We will put you all onto great jobs, but we will never have that salt shaker problem again. Just kidding. Patrick anyway. just got way too intense for the closing of the show. Wow. Emily's like, wow. I was like, and how do I ever recover from just this? Anyway. Something about bacon. Yeah, yeah. just bacon. Yeah. That's all. Well, all thanks for all your bacon. support. We love uh, that you guys support so many small producers, including our farm. So yeah. it's great to have you guys. We'd love to have you on all the time. Once a season. For Ooh. sure. Yeah. Nice. We'll cover uh, what's changing on the menu once a season. What yeah. I've been foraging. Exactly what you've been foraging. Yeah. I'll think more about what I want to make for Megan when she comes. Okay, perfect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most we'll wait till the babies question. are here okay. and uh, Megan and Harry and we'll do a, we'll, we'll, we'll set the we'll table for We'll have a little them. canopy feast for them. Tasting. Fantastic. Yeah. We look forward to it. Great. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Stick Thank around you. for uh, Tech Bites up at 11 and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.